Amen. Just as I'm getting up and thinking through, I do think there's something in this. Back to basics, I was listening to a song yesterday at United Pursuit called Let It Happen, and it says, so take me back, back to the beginning, when I was young, running in the field with you. And it's a callback, for me it was a callback to times when I first got saved. Do you know anything was possible when I first got saved? Since then I've become a bit more sensible become a bit more restrained, probably fitting into a mould a bit more. I wonder if anyone else resonates with that. You've known times when God moved. You've known times when you really knew him. And in him, anything was possible. Like the world could have got saved. You know, everyone you spoke to could have got saved. You knew the gospel was true. I just think God may be calling us Back to that, to sow into that. Even silly thing, what made me think of it, I'm not saying this is the big deal. I could not get Adobe Acrobat to work on my tablet this morning to prepare my notes. Normally I speak from a tablet. So I've had to go back, back to basics. I'm, I'm <laughs> flipping paper. Hey, what's this? I remember this stuff. So I do feel there's something for us. And even, you know, we're using back to basics as a bit of a motif for our Revive prayer times. Revive's a network of churches in the town. And um, last term, as a steering group and then as the leader's breakfast, we've been trying to go back to basics. We just felt the Lord saying to us, we need to pray again. We'd become a bit of a business organizing committee. And church can feel like that sometimes, can't it? You know, we get, you know, this is, this is we're actually quite, a, you know, we're, we're an organization or we've got organisational elements to us. We've, we employ a, an admin manager and we have trustees who look after protocols. But that isn't the life. You need that structure for the life. But because of those things, sometimes we become, interesting, Kate used the word structured, structured. And sometimes we think the structure and the activities are it. They're not. But to see the life, perhaps we need to seek God again. And go back to basics and lay hold of him. I'm going to say about our revived times of prayer. Like I say, we've been going back and things have been happening. It's been great. There's a sense of God moving and speaking. So Lord, I pray if you're calling us back individually to times when we knew you, when we were full of life, full of zeal. Jesus, I pray. God, stir me up, Lord. Reinvigorate, re-enliven, revive, Lord. Revive. Bring new life. God, where, where there's desert and barrenness and weariness, Jesus, refresh, I pray, for all of us. And God, if you're calling us back to you, let us not, not, let us not be complacent. Let us not be smug, thinking, thinking we got this Christianity sorted now. Jesus, we will never have you sorted. And I just pray that in our individual lives, even as you call us back and we answer that call, may we see you to be a God who is so much bigger than we think, a God whose ways are so much higher than our ways. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd be the God who can do exceedingly, abundantly, more than all we ask or imagine. So Spirit of God, just take a hold of your word this morning, take a hold of your people at this time and refresh us, enliven us. Call us back to you. Call us back to you, Lord.
be calling us back to you. Call us back to you. And God, I pray that we would hear the call and would answer. In Jesus' name. Do you know that's what repentance is? Fundamentally, that's all repentance is. It's not, it's not necessarily turning your back on an awful load of sin. It's just coming back to God. And maybe there's something for all of us in that. Maybe there's ways we need to repent of. I'm not talking that we're in sin. I'm just saying maybe there's things we need to reinvestigate and come back to him. Okay, let's see. Actually, some of that, the way I've started off there, does flag, and I was going to mention this, part I think of how God's made me is there's a, there's a kind of gifting or in Scripture, it mentions something called exhortation. Exhortation. Preachers used to be called exhorters. I feel there's a bit of me that's an exhorter. What exhortation is, it's saying, come on, people, come on, let's do this. Come on, let's seek God. Come on, let's go for this, okay? So you're going to get a little bit of exhortation this morning, all right? A little bit of, probably a little bit of challenge. Do I hear an amen? (laughs) Go on, be nice to me. So I think there's something stirring about prayer. I think we're seeing this. And um, we timed this sermon to tie in with the Lent prayer room that Jet and I think Oscar as well was something to do with that video well done okay that's his mum by the way (laughs) so we knew that was coming but we didn't tie that in necessarily with what's happening in the wider church in the town like I say as revived leaders we just felt God calling us to prayer and so we started praying these Sunday evenings in January And the longer the short of that has been, it doesn't feel to us like we kicked it off, enthusiastic, we've had one or two, and then that was all right. Let's stop it now. Actually, what we feel is, no, if anything, God's asking us, inviting us into more. So fundamentally, we are going to continue those Sunday evenings through Lent up to Easter, and we plan to have an Easter Sunday evening celebration as the church in the town on Easter Sunday. That's good, isn't it? Good. So, revive. And then Jonathan Oliedi, you remember, comes and exhorts us, really encourages us to prayer and fasting. If you, if you don't know what that's about, and that was an invitation, okay, you don't have to do it. But fundamentally, he said, pick a, pick a number between 1 and 31. So if you haven't heard this yet, you might want to join this. The idea is pick a number, a day of the month, 1 to 31. And would you commit to praying, at the very least praying on that day, maybe fasting? Jonathan's encouragement was to fast. And we'll talk about, about fasting in a minute. To fast, pray, one day of the month. Wouldn't it be great if across rugby there was a whole host of people every day, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, praying for, and he said three levels, personal. And the phrase he used was, pray that your family encounter Jesus. I think that's a great line. 
That's what we want. Not that they come to church, but that they encounter Jesus. Secondly, pray for kind of a local level, your church, your neighborhood, the streets of rugby, your town. And then pray at a national and international level. So we've got that invitation. But he also talked about a prayer altar. The prayer altar really is that place where we build our individual prayer life. Now listen, this is exhortation. Please, we're all at the place we're at. Jesus knows where we're at. And I'm not, I don't want anyone to feel condemned. But equally, let's realistically appraise where we're at as believers. Okay, we're mature believers. We're mature adults, most of us. Most of us are adults and most of us are mature. Okay, (laughs) I don't mean old, I just mean, I know there are times I act like a teenager. Okay. So let's realistically appraise this. How are we doing with that prayer altar in our own lives? How's your prayer altar? Effectively, I'm asking you, what's, your, what's our prayer life like? Are there ways we could sow into that? Does it need a bit of decluttering? Does our life need a bit of decluttering? So that we know we are building a prayer altar, a place where we seek God. And come to him. What's helped us with building that prayer altar? I did wonder in our life groups whether just half an hour, maybe even this week, we might share experiences. What helps us? What's helped us in our own individual prayer life and, and encounter with God and scripture reading, if you like? It might be something you want to kick around in life groups. But then there's a bigger picture. In all of this, in prayer, why? Why do we need to pray? What's at stake? You see, I do have a sense, and I'll come back to this. It is time to seek the Lord. I think for us in this town, and maybe therefore for us as a church, it is time There is a season there for us. I think there's an invitation there to us. There might even be a challenge from the Spirit. It is time to seek the Lord. And I want to speak from 2 Chronicles 20, if you've got your Bible. 2 Chronicles 20. And what happens there is Judah, the southern tribes, are under attack from Moab and the Ammonites. And there's a king called Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. And what's his response to this attack on Judah? Well, we're going to have a look then at prayer through Jehoshaphat and how he responds in this situation. So firstly, I've got a few points here, so I'm going to whip through them. Firstly, what's his predicament? What's Judah's predicament? Because I think it speaks to us. It says this, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Maonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. What is their predicament? A vast army was coming against them. A vast army was coming against them. Make no mistake, Christian friend, a vast army is against us. I'm sorry, I, 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 know, I know we may want the Christian life to be comfortable and we may want us to prosper. And, and I believe in those, well, I believe in pros, 
prospering anyway in the Lord. But make no mistake, there is an army, an enemy opposed to us. And we need to understand this. This is our context. We live in enemy-occupied territory. And the enemy, just like the Nazis in World War II, would seek to come in, take our territory and obliterate us, if they could. That was Jehoshaphat's predicament, and it's no less ours. Powers and principalities are against us. And actually, there's, there's some folks out there in the world, aren't there, who don't care for much for Christians either. So that's our predicament. What was Joshua's response? There was a proclamation for prayer. A proclamation for prayer. This is from Wembley, the uh, global day of prayer a few years back. But what happens here in 2 Chronicles 20? Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Jehoshaphat realizes in the face of this opposition, they had to seek God. They didn't have to go to planning and military training first and foremost, although I'm sure they did a bit of that. They didn't have to go to acting and activity and busyness. They said, what we've got to do in the face of our context, we need to seek God. Do you see a context around us that needs changing, worldviews opposed to Christianity? Well, the first port of call then is to seek God. I think it's interesting. It says Jehoshaphat resolved. Jehoshaphat resolved. Praying, no, no two ways about it, friend. Praying takes some resolution. It takes some setting of the alarm in the morning. It takes some putting our phone down. It takes some turning Netflix off. I'm, I'm just preaching to myself here. It takes some turning Netflix off, turning Sky Sports off. It takes some resolution. Your prayer life will not be built without determination. Firstly, because the enemy will oppose it, but secondly, the flesh will oppose it. And we need to resolve. I think now's the time for resolution. We need to be resolved. These things won't just happen. I am encouraged, though. It says in this, they proclaimed a fast. We're going to come to that later. I'm going to get Simon up to just chat about that a little bit. But they came together to pray. And it is so encouraging. There's something happening. Like I say, amongst the churches, for some reason, we're coming together. We're coming together. Could it be we reach a tipping point at some stage where God so looks, Jeff uses this phrase about a tipping point in prayer, where we've so sought God together, he's got to act. He's got to act because we've taken him at his word and we can claim his word to him. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. And Psalm 133 and all of that. So like I say, I think it's time. I do think there's a season for us. This is Hosea 10. This has resonated for me recently. Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes. Let's just keep seeking him until he moves. And until we know he's moving. 
and showers his righteousness on you. This was to, again, Israel in a time when they, they, they were away from God. So is the Lord calling us back to, uh, to himself? Yes, as corporately as a church, but, but never mind that, individually. Let's know that we've answered this individually, if it is a call. Is there a call to you at this time? It's time for, you, it's time for me to seek the Lord. I need to know I'm doing that at the very least, no matter who else is. And like I say, we've got continued prayer. There's going to be opportunities for this. Lent. We're going to try and open up some of our morning Zoom calls. So there's going to be opportunity to do this. So what were the dynamics of prayer here? So firstly, Jehoshaphat comes with a good perspective. He comes to prayer with a good perspective. And I think this is important and helpful. It says, then Jehoshaphat stood up. He've heard about the attack. They've resolved to inquire. And then Jehoshaphat stood up and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Jehoshaphat knew the stories. He knew the stories. He knew his history. Do we know our history as believers? Well, how do we get our history? Well, first and foremost, Scripture. Do we know the stories? Do we know what God's done? Do we know what he's capable of? Have we read our church history? I love the fact that, you know, church history, it encourages us. Have we looked at that? Because there are stories to encourage you. Michael Wilcox says this, the basis of the prayer, Jehoshaphat's, is a conviction that our God and the God of our ancestors are one and the same. And that his words and deeds in the past may be appealed to as facts. Scripture is not myth. It's factual. Some of it, I get it's poetry as well and there's symbolism. I get that. But what I'm talking about is the narratives are facts. God has moved. God has taken out his enemies. God has equipped his people. God has brought his people into inheritance. And he can do the same for us. The like of which his praying people may expect to see repeated in their own time of need. Folks, those things we've read about in the past about God moving. Never mind read about things from your past. When you've seen God move. When you've known him, when you've seen him heal. When you've encountered the prophetic. When I've encountered that. We can expect to see these things repeated. What shapes our thinking? Is it the worldviews out there that say Christianity's dead? We're just a remnant. Or is it the truth that God's always come through for his people in times of need? And actually, if you look at history, very often it's been in the darkest times when society has been bleakest that God has stepped in. But usually 
As John Wesley said, God does nothing but in answer to prayer. Usually, his people, he set his people praying. I think we can expect to see God do something, but we may need to pray. But let's know our history. Let's know our stories. Let's know what God is capable of, who he is and what he's capable of. Jehoshaphat understood where he prayed. They came into the presence of God. This talks about the fact that there was the temple. God's people had built a sanctuary. And he knew, Jehoshaphat and Israel knew they could come into his presence. He is both the almighty God. He is both the almighty God. But he's also the high priest who's not unable to empathize with our weaknesses. So we come to this God who is almighty and holy, but also is a loving father. But the point is, we can come to him. We can seek him. He invites us in. Let's not let that invitation go unanswered. There's an RSVP for us. So what did Jehoshaphat understand was at stake? The possession of God's people, the inheritance. He prays this, but now here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. Israel left these nations alone. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. What's at stake there? What's at stake for us? Our inheritance. What's our inheritance? Everything God has for us. Everything God has for us is at stake. Our families, what God's got for us in terms of our families, in terms of our communities. That's what's at stake. And the enemy would rob us of these things. Look at John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The enemy would rob us of loving relationships. The enemy would seek to steal away our children and grandchildren. The enemy would look to make peace in our communities unviable. And we need to pray. We need to pray. Do you have situations? Do we have situations in our families that we want to see transformed? Have we got situations going on around us? Are there relationships? Are there work situations that need shifting? Let's know whatever else that we've prayed. And can I just say, I think there's a difference because... I know this from my own life. There's a difference, isn't there, between saying your prayers about these things and praying. Between saying your prayers, between mentioning. You know, I've got non-Christian relatives. And I know what it is to pray, say my prayers for them. They're on a prayer list and I mention their name. But that's different to laying hold of God for them and to know you've prayed. And maybe fasted. We fasted for relatives of folks here and seen God come through. So let's pray. On that day, 
when we stand before the Lord, let's not, whatever else we may be accused of, be accused of lethargy and complacency. And I do wonder, I do just sense preparing. Some of us have got situations around us that we care about that may not shift without prayer and fasting. They just may not shift. Let's know that we've done it, if that's the case. So cracking on. Jehoshaphat also here understood how the enemy was going to be defeated. He knew who had the power. Do you remember Bruce Almighty? Imbued with the power of God. And that song comes on, I've got the power. That one. Well, we haven't got the power. We haven't got the power. This is what Jehoshaphat realizes. He prays, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. Our God, will you not judge these nations? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Folks, we do not have the power to change society. You and I do not have the power to rearrange these situations around us. We have responsibility in them, I get that. And there may be times when we need to act. But fundamentally, again, it is God we need to see move. He has the power. And Jehoshaphat realizes in the face of this vast army, he says, we have no power. It's interesting, going back to Hosea 10, that one of the things God says to Israel through Hosea is this. He says, you've acted in your own strength. And maybe as churches sometimes, we buy into, you know, good organization. Nothing wrong with that. Strategies, nothing wrong with that. Even trying to be missional and get out there. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But we have no power. We have no power to see lives change. Why? The prince of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So what we need to do is pray for revelation. Only the Spirit brings revelation. Guys, we've got to own this. We live in a culture and we live with a Christianity that is very capable, very informed, very technical. But the danger is we operate all too often in human strength. And we think we can crack it. We think we've got this sorted. Jehoshaphat says, we've got no power. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. So we need to understand that. We need to know where the power to change these situations around us lies. Jehoshaphat knew who had the power. What might this seeking then God release? What might this seeking of God release? Firstly, we see it releasing here, the prophetic. When God's people, realizing their weakness, their vulnerability, seek him, it releases encouraging prophetic voices that speak to us. What does the prophetic do? It edifies, says Paul, builds up. So when we hear the prophetic, it should build us up. There are times in Scripture it it did bring challenge, and, and even now we might have an element of that, but fundamentally it builds up. There's a guy gets up, I think it's, I forget, it's Hazaziel or something. And he says, in response to this prayer, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. 
For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. You remember? They've sought God. They have prayed. And then they're told, now go out and stand and watch God do it. And basically, the enemy's ambushed. I think they start fighting each other. I can't, can't remember now. But fundamentally, they're defeated. They've prayed first, and then they're told to just go and stand firm. But it's a prophetic voice that tells them this. I've come across, I think we're seeing a bit of this at the moment. Prophetic voices, when we're praying, prophetic voices released. We've had encouragements around, and we may yet hear some of this. It's somebody in the church here. Ezekiel's river, Ezekiel 47, the river that flows out from the temple into the land around. There's an encouragement around that. We've seen prophetic voices encouraging us to believe for doors being open to us. Voices telling us, it was a prophetic word actually, particularly that encouraged us to keep praying till Easter as revive. It wasn't just logic. Somebody encountered God and said, I think we need to keep praying till Easter. And we're told to test prophecies. And when we think it's God, act on it. But it's encouraging, isn't it? When God starts to speak. And I just want to encourage some of us. I hadn't planned to say this, but I just, I just wonder. Some of us have, again, this sewing back into things. Some of us have operated in the prophetic. And I just think maybe there's an encouragement to us. Sow into that again. Just start speaking things out. See what happens. See if people start coming alive around you as you share the prophetic. Let's stir the prophetic up on a Sunday morning. Sometimes people say, you know, we haven't got time. It's all structured. Well, listen, we'll look to make time. You come forward first and let's look to make time. But let's not say there's not time to share. Let's stir that up. Let's stir up the prophetic and we'll seek to handle it wisely, maturely. Finally, praise is released. Praise is released. This is us last week at Elim, actually. There was a sense of praise. We had a great time at the Methodist church. Uh, three weeks ago, was it? Sunday evening. There's just Nathan, the minister there, on his keyboard. That was it. I have never heard that great Methodist hymn, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling, sung with such gusto. It wasn't just emotion. There was a kind of oomph, strength to it. There was something there. People just wanted to praise God. It's so powerful, isn't it? Praise. Basically, they start worshipping here. In fact, they put the worship band at the front of the army. There you go, Janet and Ian and all the rest of you. They put the worship band at the front of the army as they went out. Praise leads us. It leads us into things. When we decide in this situation, I'm going to worship him. I'm going to praise him. Things start to happen. Doors start to open. And it leads us into our inheritance. So let's pray for more release of worship. Like, not, I don't, I'm not just meaning let's sing songs and even let's get the band playing better or whatever it is. I mean like actually a spirit of worship where we encounter him, where we meet with him. Let's pray that God will do that. So I hope you feel exhorted. Okay? 
Yeah? Was that enough? Yeah, we'll leave it there, shall we? That was only eight points. I hope you feel exhorted. But here's the thing, folks. Exhortation moves the heart. But we need to act. We do need to do something. If God's been speaking here, we need to do something about it. But I think there's scope for application here. Primarily, brother, sister, can I encourage you as your pastor, step into that place to attend to your prayer altar. That's key to our discipleship, a vital living relationship with Jesus. Lord, I just pray now for brothers, sisters, where they've maybe become tired, weary, and they feel you don't speak anymore. Myself included, Lord, I pray, help us to declutter our altar, to just seek you again, to clean it up, dust it down. Jesus, I pray that as we do that, would you meet with us? Lord, I pray for that sense of Ezekiel's river to start flowing in our lives. Lord, that we may have encounter with you as we come to you in prayer and scripture. just want to say again, that doesn't have to look sat down in a chair, Bible. It doesn't have to look like it could be walking out in the creation. It could be worship, whatever works for you. But attend to that prayer altar. So we need to do that. We need to resolve to do that. But also, like I say, we've got tremendous opportunities Certainly until Easter, and who knows beyond that. Sunday evenings, tonight, if you haven't got a better offer, and even if you have, maybe you need to turn it down, here, 6.30. So we're keeping these rolling. through. We're only going to do it January, keeping these rolling, and we're here tonight, 6.30. If you're free, maybe you might want to come and pray for the town. Let's, we're just seeking to seek, Lord. We're trying not to have too much structure. Just seeking God. Let's see what God does. Time for worship, space for worship. First Thursday of the month, it's just gone, I know, but first Thursday of the month, um, we're taking prayer to the streets. There are about 50-odd people there last Thursday. It started off the back of Elim's worship group, kind of wanting to do that, but Jonathan there has opened it up to the rest of the churches. So first Thursday of the month. Like I say, I've chatted with Dave, who leads prayer here, and we're, we're trying to find ways to open up, and quite how we do it, we'll communicate it as time goes on. Open up our morning prayer Zoom, maybe once a week, twice, whatever, we'll work that out, where we open that up to the church as a whole. But hey, Beck people, Monday through Friday, 8 o'clock on prayer Zoom. The link is on the website. And if 8 o'clock in the morning doesn't suit you, and I, I said this back in COVID, actually, if 8 o'clock in the morning doesn't suit you, but say, I don't know, whatever time does, come and have a chat and we'll open up the Zoom link at that time and you can lead it. It, it doesn't take much. Okay, you jump on, you say, hi, everyone, shall we pray? That's pretty much it. It's not. How difficult is that? And then the prayer room that we've just heard about. It is interesting, though, here that... Jehoshaphat calls a fast. And I just said we'd have a quick chat 
with Simon, who, I mean, frankly, I think is carrying something in terms of fasting for us as a church. He challenged the church leaders a little while back to pray and fast for a week. And, um, and also as experience of fasting. So Simon, why don't you come up and should we just do this as a little Q&A? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so basically, do you, is there something that you think God's saying to us as a church at the moment just around fasting? Any take on that? Um, so, so I do in the sense that, I was, as I was sharing earlier on, as, as we're building out who we are as a, as a missional community of disciples making disciples, the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we only individually have got a deep sense of our spiritual discipline and formed by our own relationship with God. So we're going to be capped in our ability to reach out, um, take on all that he's got for us, as, as we've seen. It's, it's interesting how you shared kind of the going out to a spiritual battle because there's great things coming. And through this season of waiting, there are great things coming for us as a church. But we need to prepare ourselves you know, there's a spiritual warfare out there. You know, just as you're going into battle, you, you would prepare yourself. You know, this is, not a, this is not a sprint. Saving lives is a marathon, and you would prepare yourself. You wouldn't sit on the sofa and say, I'm going to be able to run, you know, 42K. You would train. You'd be disciplined. You'd watch your diet. You'd do your exercise. There are spiritual disciplines that we've been sharing today about prayer and fasting that I think each and every one of us, um, if we could develop would allow us to have a much stronger faith, a much deeper sense of how much God loves us. You know, that still small voice would not be distracted with all of the noise. Uh, when, you, when you hear your, tumble, your tummy grumble, for example, you'd know, actually, that's a time to spend time with God. Um, I'm going to caveat everything else that I say um, when Paul asks me that, you know, it, it, in the Bible it says about food, but I would have a, a wider take on it. But if your relationship with food is not good, don't fast. Speak to somebody around you as well. So when you're fasting, even though it says in Matthew 6, don't let other people know, speak to people around you when you are fasting, people that care for you behind the scenes um, if you decide to do anything with food. But we'll talk about other ways of denying yourself um, in terms of spending time with God um, in a moment. So it's fair to say, isn't it, and I, I know because I've chatted with you and Su Jung as well, you know, you have spent time in Singapore and Su Jung is Korean, and there is a culture of prayer and fasting in the Far East. Anything, anything to share just in terms of what you've experienced in those cultures and how that might encourage us, you know, what, what you've seen God do, that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, again, just sharing a experience, um, not meant to kind of be judgment or anything else. Um, I, I was very blessed to come from a church tradition where, where fasting was part of the culture. Uh, I thought it was a bit weird when I first joined the church. What are they doing? How can they do this? Uh, how can they sustain themselves? Um, but at the beginning of every year, the, the church corporately fasted for 21 days. It was a beginning of the year. It was a reset, and everybody did it together. Um, you know, you can, some people did liquid fasts because they'd been fasting for a long time. Some people did a Daniel fast, which was kind of meats and vegetables. Um, some people encourage their kids to, you know, not have chocolate. Um, we involved my son, Kieran, who loves chili and spice. Um, he didn't get to have any spicy food for 21 days. Just so we can, as a, as, a, as a family, kind of get a sense of when there's something that brings us joy or pleasure, we can just put that down for a season and be reminded, actually, this is a cue to spend time with God. You know, if you're, if you're not having food because you think you're fasting, that's not a fast, that's a diet. 
you know, fast replaces that time with prayer and you seek God. So kind of that's kind of one of the interesting The fact it was corporate makes it a lot easier. You know, there's that sense of uh, collectivism, accountability, and uh, camaraderie around that corporately. Um, in the life groups, everybody put in their prayers requests. So every single day we had a morning prayer ser- service that people could go to before work. We prayed about each life group every day and prayed for everybody in the church. Um, we had a series of scripture that we were reading for the 21 days so everybody knew which verse we were praying on. Um, so it was just, I was just blessed to have it very structured. Um, it just became a tradition and you would, you would not imagine or be able to conceive of the many prayers that were answered and the healing. People found jobs. Um, personally, um, you know, we, we moved a couple of times with work and it was just really curious to see what God was doing. Um, during kind of one of our last seasons, he did put on our hearts, we need to return to the UK. You know, we need to come back here. Uh, we need to put things down uh, and really seek to be witnesses to my parents because none of my family knows God. So, um, you know, if you are fasting and you're fasting food, don't have hot showers because your body just gets absorbed and gets more tired. Uh, but you'll be amazed, you know, if, if you are fasting food, how, how, you know, your body gets really clean and you have a glow, you know, all these sorts of things. Um, but social media, you know, people would just delete their Facebook app off their phone for 21 days. Can you imagine the amount of time you might have to spend with God when you pick up your phone? Okay, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to spend some time with God. So just a, yeah. a view. I mean, you've kind of stepped into the last thing just yeah. around practical advice. Anything else that occurs to you at this point? Um, well, you know, I, I would really hope that we could find something that we could maybe lay down for a day um, as, as we pray. Because corporately, you know, as you tune in, share words with, um, you know, the church, amazing things happen. God has amazing things planned for each individual person. And if we can just distract, you know, remove some of that distraction, um, you know, find, find something that urges us, you know, as you abstain from something, that actually that space is going to be filled with God. He has so much to speak to you. That still quiet voice that we've been trying to tune into today, you know, when it's, when it's amplified through your prayer and fasting, there's just amazing things that God has to speak to you. Yeah. So that would be brilliant. Thanks, Simon. Feel free to come and chat with Simon and Sue Young. Um, not that they're, you know, the world's leading experts. They just come from a culture where they do pray and fast. And it's certainly been my experience. Times of fasting, usually something's shifted. Something significant's happened. Um, let's just take two minutes just to turn to the person next to you. And this isn't, I'm not asking here, what are you going to do now? I'm just saying, what's your response to everything we've kind of been saying and sharing there just just anything it might be something you say actually I probably do need to I could attend to this or I'm encouraged by this or whatever it is or you know maybe need to chat about that let's just take two minutes to do that gonna ask the worship band to come back up during that time but just take two minutes to just respond and unpack briefly you know what might the Lord be saying I suppose should we just do that quickly